Episode 23 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Bill Fariska. Hey, everybody. And Pete DeMeo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And it's the much-anticipated return of Misha Bakikio. I'm back, everybody. Yay. That We have had so many letters written to us. Really? In words that tell us. <laughs> in words as <laughs> yes. opposed to. Yeah. No, there were letters written to us in words yeah. telling us that they missed you, Misha. Oh. And in... Uh, in honor of that, this is going to be the Misha episode. Yes! And we're going to have lots and lots and lots of words from Misha. It is my belated Misha. birthday present. It is, exactly. <laughs> Misha get in 2016. <laughs> that doesn't Love sound it. positive. No. <laughs> it sounds like I'm going to die at the end of the podcast. <laughs> That's true. There's something you're not Spoiler. telling Spoiler! Yeah. All right, so we're going to talk about mobile apps today. Misha wrote an awesome uh, blog article about trying all the apps in the world. And she's going to talk about her findings. You can read the full uh, blog on our website. We'll link to that from the show notes. But before we get into that, let's talk about what's going on in the news. Phil, do you have an article for us? Sure. Mine's pretty quick and easy. Uh, companies can now add support hours to Twitter. Um, now companies are allowed to allow Twitter users to direct message them. There'll be an option um, under the support settings once you allow direct messaging to add support hours. Um, from that, you may see a larger button for direct messaging once you enable this, but um, this helps ex- uh, set expectations for Twitter users on when they may receive a reply from a company, know when to interact with them. I, I don't get this. I really don't get this. Like, you can put this already in a pinned tweet, or you can put it in the profile, like Misha said earlier before the show. It's like, I don't get that this is really helping people. If you if your customer service is limited, then wouldn't you have already told people that in your profile? See, I feel like it's more the setting expectations type of thing. When they see that availability, then they know when they should expect it or they shouldn't expect it. Well, I feel like a lot of issue with this might come from the fact that if I'm, a lot of times, Twitter, I have an issue. It's not like I'm praising them. I might have an issue or customer service problem. I don't go to their profile and look at stuff before. I just tag yeah. them in yeah. it. Good so, point. Eh. Yeah, and I just uh, yeah, this Good is point. a non thing for me. I think Twitter's like all proud of their new feature, but it's, it's, like it's definitely a PR success story because yeah. there's really no story here whatsoever. Yeah, but it's yeah. All, it's in the news. I mean, it's a, it, it's great. It's something. It's a nice feature for you know Twitter to have. I don't know that it's going to you know, change the world. It wasn't necessary, but they did it yeah. anyway. It's yeah. actually really helpful. It's good that they have it. Why well, wasn't there the whole time? I mean, it's eh. kind of. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would say best practice, go fill it in if, if you have limited support on Twitter, you know, custom service hours. Certainly use this, but is it really going to make a difference in the world? Probably not. All right, what's next? Okay, the next one is an article that's on Hotel News Now, and it's entitled 2017 Tech Trends, Faster Bandwidth and More Mobile Apps. And we were having a little internal debate before the podcast began of if this is a, an opinion piece, if this is a news piece. Uh, regardless, it's pretty interesting to look at. Uh, in this article, they interviewed several different hoteliers, uh, one being Davidson Resort and Hotels, the other one Extended Stay America. And in both cases, they indicated that these two properties were having issues where their bandwidth was getting you know, push to the limits at the properties because of 
visitors having multiple device types, streaming more video, you know, using more things on the web, and that from an operations perspective, we really need to make sure that we're ready for customers, especially when they come in, you know, in, around Christmas time and 2017 for that summer season, they're going to have a lot of devices and they're going to be expecting to connect at very high speeds that, you know, from the operations perspective, you should be ready for that and have your infrastructure in place. You know, we're seeing a lot of hotels go into a tiered bandwidth situation. So I, I think it's gone to the point where internet access is a utility, right? You go to a hotel, you expect to be able to turn the faucet on and get water. You expect to switch on a light and have electricity. And I think you expect now to go there and be able to check your email. That's that's prerequisite for a hotel. But if I've got four kids and they're all streaming 4K HD Netflix, then maybe I should have to pay a little bit more for that because that, that's putting on a big burden. And it's not cheap to get that kind of internet connection, especially if you're a big property. If you're, you know, you're just a 15 unit you know little in not such a big deal but if you're a 500 unit property you're all these people streaming high definition video from multiple devices in each room that's that's expensive or hundreds of people showing up we just one weekend when pokemon go becomes a fad and everybody's <laughs> playing that exactly. that's going to eat it up quickly yeah so i mean I, I think yeah whether this is news or not i think it's good advice because you need to be aware monitor your bandwidth to make sure that the people that are just there to check the email can do so easily and maybe segment people so those high bandwidth users are, are throttled to a degree but the people that are just checking their email are doing the things they need to from from a just a everyday kind of checking the internet kind of thing they can do that so yeah we had previously talked about you know what is an amenity versus now what is this an expected you know service of the hotel and how free internet's kind of made that transition from being, you know, oh, it's fantastic, I can connect, to you're assuming that you can do so. Mm-hmm. But giving those customers that upcharge or if they're loyalty members, giving them a faster connection speed. That's what I was just going to ask you. How do you feel about charging people extra for this faster speed? Or well, you know, like Stuart said, if you have four kids and they're all watching Netflix, I think you expect to pay a little bit more. And as a father myself... I'd be happy to pay more if those kids were happy. So, Yeah, and I don't know. I, I think that you can also use this as an opportunity. One, as a revenue generator for high-speed internet you have to pay for. You get the basic for free. But also you can use this as leverage for your own loyalty program. And I've seen some hotels where they're starting to say, you know what, if you book through a third party like an OTA, you get the basic internet. But if you book direct, you get this high tiered internet. So now you can give people extra incentives to book direct, which I think is a smart way to approach it. For sure. All right, what's next? Misha, you have one? I do. Um, Apparently, we don't have enough social media networks, so YouTube decided to throw one out of their own. They um, launched the YouTube community this week. And there had been reports of this being in beta, but it really weren't a lot of screenshots or any images of this out in the wild, but it has been launched into a public beta. Um, they said the point of this is to um, you know, keep creators from departing the platform completely and going to other platforms to share their content. They really want to keep them on YouTube and help them engage and interact with their audience more. So there's not a ton of information out about it yet, but I think as more people pick it up and adopt it, we'll start seeing it more. 
I honestly have mixed feelings about it. I'm just wondering if this is going to be another Google Plus situation where they make a big deal about it and then like <laughs> nobody ends up using it. But I know that YouTube is a huge platform. It's the world's second largest um, search engine. So, you know, I see more potential in it than perhaps Google Plus, but I don't know. Well, let's, let's just put it this way. Google's track record with social media channels is, is not, <laughs> not that great. stellar, right? So they had Orchid for a while, which was panned everywhere in the world except for Brazil. For some reason, Brazil liked that social network. Um, then Google Plus, which was a social network, was it a layer on top of the, the social layer on top of the internet? People debated that, but you saw what happened there. So now, I, you know, if, if all this is, is the people that leave comments already on YouTube now having more of a platform to, to troll, then this is not going to be successful <laughs> yeah. because the, the worst community in the world is the, is the people yeah. that leave comments on YouTube. It's just terrible. There's a bunch of hate mongers and trollers that just try to create noise and... I don't know. It just feels late to the game for me. You know, yeah. This is this is something that if you were going to do this, do it years ago. This is this just it just seems so. Like, other things already do this. What are you doing, YouTube? Yeah. And, and everyone is a content producer. Very few people are video content producers. You know. So to me, it seems like you have you're going to have a few people actually producing the content, and then sort of your point, a bunch of people just jumping on and commenting on that stuff. So. I don't know. I'm, I don't have high hopes for this one. Yeah, I, I mean, if it helps me find content that's relevant to me more effectively, I'm all about it. But I just, as a, a content publisher, this is not going to be the first place I go because I've already got established communities on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever it is or on my own website. So why am I going to invest in building up a new community when I already have three? I'm sorry. I'm reading the comments on this article, and they are so terrible. They're probably YouTube comments as <laughs> now coming to this blog. Like one of them is, um, today, YouTube community. Tomorrow, YouTube ghost town. <laughs> because when you think of a healthy social media community, you think of YouTube. Like People are tearing this apart already. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, We could all be wrong. You know, I never, never bet against Google. Unless it's a social network. <laughs> <laughs> These, this really makes sense. I hate the limited interactions you can have in the comment section. Yeah, <laughs> Said no one ever. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All, all they need to do, comments. right, get next to the like button or the thumbs up, thumbs down button next to a comment, just have an eye roll button. <laughs> because that's kind of what I feel like when I'm reading through comments on a YouTube video. Just like, really? Yeah. Roll my eyes. All right, so that's the in the news section. Let's jump into our main topic, which we're talking today about mobile apps. Like I said earlier, Misha wrote this awesome, really long article about all the mobile apps in the world that she's tried and the good, the bad, and the ugly amongst them. So we're gonna kind of give you the too long, didn't read, top-down view of that today. Misha's gonna take over the show from here on out. We're gonna talk about that. And then we'll kind of circle back and talk about from a hotel perspective, what are some things you can be doing to take advantage of the fact that people are using mobile apps and uh, the opportunity is out there for hotels to drive revenue to uh, increase operational efficiency and to improve guest engagement and satisfaction as well. So Misha, it's your show. Yes. Take Fi off. Finally. Huh? <laughs> finally. I've waited. 23 <laughs> episodes. Finally. That's right. Don't disappoint. I, I never disappoint. Get out of here. <laughs> So my goal with this article um, was really to explore mobile apps and that's a super broad thing to explore. So kind of 
reining this in a little bit, I wanted to start at the top and look at people who are from a perspective of they don't know where they want to stay. So there's a lot of hotel specific apps out there, but my primary focus for this study was to focus on apps that allow you to find and book a hotel room. So this is not necessarily hotel specific. That would be a great iteration for maybe part two of this. Um, and I know a challenge of that may be a lot of hotel specific apps have gated content that's only available if you're a guest there. And I know some of these apps did too, but overall there was a lot more accessible to the user if I wasn't a member, if I wasn't a loyalty member, you know, whatever. Um, just some fine print here, that's one of them. It's only apps that were for finding and booking a hotel room that I looked at. I also did not actually book on these apps. That would have been a huge process and a very expensive process to go through, book the room, you could have gone on a lot cancel of the room. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Shouldn't cancel. Borrow the company credit card, book all these rooms. Save I, us for that's research. an option. <laughs> you missed a boat on that. It would have been now. It's not all right, we'll be back in six weeks with the <laughs> new version. Um, so I went as far as I could through the booking process without actually booking. And then ultimately, these are my personal preferences based on my knowledge of the tech and travel industry. This is not, you know, the end all be all. This is just my personal experience and my personal opinions. Um, and when I looked at this, I looked at um, the apps from a design perspective and also a user experience perspective. And I have a lot of notes in there. And I think today we'll just kind of talk about some of my favorites, what I liked, some of my least favorites. And then some features that you know were good on these types of apps, but that all could also translate well into hotel apps. So, what I did notice, um, I'll go ahead and say this too, is that most of the apps that I looked at looked and functioned pretty much the same. Some of them were obviously different. You've kind of got your OTA category, and then you've got you know the Airbnbs of the world. But in general, most of them started out with some type of welcome or sign-in screen. And then that would lead you to a date selection tool, which would then lead you to a list of hotels. And they, a lot of these had a default listing order and then some filters that you could apply to narrow those down, as well as a map view option, which I personally found very helpful. And then all of them pretty much included a hotel profile listing, booking forms, and then some other various bells and whistles, which we can talk about. So we'll start off with my favorite apps, and if you guys have any questions about it while we're going through, feel free to chime in. Um, I looked at a lot of OTA-ish apps, so this would be the, um, you know, the Priceline and the Expedia apps of the world, and it was interesting to me how we all know how consolidated this space is. So you've got Priceline, which owns Booking.com kayak.com, Agoda, which is primarily used in other countries. Um, and then I didn't look at OpenTable, but they do own OpenTable as well. And then you have Expedia, who owns Hotels.com, Orbitz, Travelocity, Trivago, Homeway, and Hotwire. So I looked at every single one of these apps except for OpenTable. And it was weird to me because some of them were very similar, but then some of them were super different. Like whether it was from a design or usability perspective, I kind of would have expected them to be more similar than they were across the board. I don't know if that's going to change since some of the consolidation is pretty recent or if that's going to stay. Yeah, I mean, the app development process is a lot more intense than, say, websites. So if you look at Travelocity, Orbitz, and Expedia's websites now, they're all very similar in terms of look and feel. 
but it's going to take a while, I think. And those were the three, it's funny that you mentioned those three, those are the three apps that were most similar. Okay. So it's interesting that they've carried that from the website. Mm -hmm. So maybe they'll all be more similar down the road. Um, but just, I was surprised when I started finding out the relationship between who owns what, how different a lot of them were. But from the OTA perspective, my favorite um, were the Expedia and Travelocity apps. Um, those were pretty similar. And um, I'll just start talking about some of the things that I really liked about these. So I found these out of all the OTA apps to be really easy to use, really intuitive, um, and they had a not annoying date selection tool. So it's kind of hard to explain this, but there are some images. I have approximately a million and a half screenshots <laughs> in my blog. It's a conservative yeah. estimate. Yeah, a conservative estimate. Um, so what I found with a lot of these apps is that when you would select a date, you would like use one box to select a date, and it would drop down and you would select it, and then it would close, and then you would select another box that would drop down with a date. And it was just like kind of a pain in the butt like after a while to do this. Um, so, and anytime you wanted to change the date, you would have to select two things. Well, on these apps, it was a really clean, like one drop down, and you would select a date, and it would just slide over to your departure date. So it was a much better experience, and I don't know why other apps haven't figured this out, or if it hasn't been expressed, or if other people just don't really care, but like the date selection tool was by far one of the most obnoxious things like yeah, I Yeah, it's one of my pet peeves on, on mobile in general, whether it's a mobile app or a mobile site having a bad date selected just sets me off. Yeah. I just, it, it shouldn't exist in 2016. It just shouldn't exist. Well, they definitely had one of the better ones that I saw. So that was definitely put them high on my list. Um, they also had a very clean but informative hotel profile preview list. So when I say that, um, after you select your dates, you were given a list of hotels. And it really varied across the board with how they were presented. So some would have... Um, like an image and then like a little blurb that was pulled in from the profile page. Some of them would have like a, a large image with very little information. Theirs was a nice balance of um, a square image and then it would have, um, you know, a rate and then uh, a rating and then like a little snippet of information. So it was like pretty much the top stuff you want to know without cluttering the entire page. Yeah, and when we've done studies in the past of what matters to people, obviously price is a factor that's one of the biggest drivers, but the, the quality of the product, so reviews of some kind, uh, they wanna be able to see it, so photo, photo's important. And then a lot of times location, which in, in this case, you already have a destination. Were any of them showing what relative location, like what it was near or vicinity or any of that kind of stuff? So you can see you have the option to switch over to a map view, which I honestly prefer to the list view, but you could zoom in really easily and see, like I was looking at um, Charleston, I use as an example for these just because it wasn't in Myrtle Beach, but I was pretty familiar with the area. Um, so you could zoom in on the map and see like what was around the hotel or mm -hmm. you know what side you're staying on. So that was kind of cool. What about on the amenity side? Did they have much in terms of what the property itself had to offer or what differentiated it from the competitors? Like well, they did on the individual hotel profile pages, um, Expedia um, did a really good job, again, about providing information that wasn't an overwhelming amount. So they did have, you know, some general amenities information. They had, um, they were pulling in some reviews. They had some high quality images. I thought their hotel profiles were pretty solid. 
And in terms of photography, did they have a lot of photography or just one or two images? It varied depending on the property. So I'm not sure if that's something that's controlled on the property level. Um, all the images that I looked at were fairly high quality um, and, and it looks like they had done a good job of at least setting a standard of you know what your images should look like. Some properties had a ton of images, some had a handful. I mean, I felt the properties that I did look at for these had a sufficient amount. I didn't, there weren't any that had like three. Kind of wanted to get you guys input on that images specifically. What do you feel be most, you know, best for a hotel? Is it, is it a image of the property? Is it an image of the room? Or is it just what looks best for your specific situation? But for me, it, it depends, right? So if, if, for example, I'm going to an oceanfront destination, showing me a, an external picture of the property and its vicinity to the ocean that's right there on the beach, that's probably important. But at the end of the day, I really care about the room that I'm staying in. Is it clean? Is it, what's the layout, the, you know, the decor, um, the, the amenities in the room? That's usually important to me. But as a general rule, the more photos, the better. And, and I personally don't care so much about lifestyle photos, seeing people laughing at the pool deck or whatever, but knowing that the pool deck's there is important to me. So I like to see a wide range of photos and as many as possible. Yeah, and for one thing, for at least oceanfront properties or wherever your location is, even though you specify that in your copy or on an app or wherever it might be, we did, we did a several ser a series of user testing on individual resort properties, and one of the first comments was always, I wish I knew how close this property was to the ocean. And these are all oceanfront properties we did, but because there was not a visual cue that says, this is the hotel, here are the sand dunes, there's the beach. People just assumed, oh, it may be oceanfront, but it could be two blocks away. Mm -hmm. So answering the obvious questions in photography is always... You know, Wait, Pete, you're, you're telling me that people don't read? That is a survey that was written up, but nobody read it. That, <laughs> <laughs> that should have been our news item at the top of the show. That should have been. Yeah. People don't read. That's why we're doing this podcast, because yeah. nobody read my article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they will. They're hearing this yeah, little they kind of snippets of it. They're going to go read the full article yeah. when they have a spare four hours. <laughs> hey, half, half of that is images, so it's yeah. fine. That's true. That million and a half images conservative. Uh, okay, so we'll continue on just to wrap up what I liked about this one. Um, they had, which was not a thing on a lot of other apps, they had the ability to book area attractions through the app, which I thought was pretty handy. They had, um, you know, like I looked in Myrtle Beach too, they had like Palace Theater tickets and aquarium tickets. So I thought that was, you know, kind of a cool feature that a lot of people would probably use. Um, and they had information that was really easy to access about their loyalty programs. Um, I am not a loyal member of Expedia or any other OTA, but they did have that information that was not obtrusive, but it was there so you know about it. And I'm assuming it would entice people to join and you would get special perks because of that. So, ready for the next one? Yeah. My other one, which I think you will agree with Stuart that I looked at is Hotel Tonight. So in case anybody is unfamiliar, um, the name kind of says it all. It's really meant for the person who is an, like last minute on the go traveler. They get to a destination and they don't necessarily have a place to stay. Why I like this one so much, um, they jump right into bed, literally. They skip the welcome sign in, get to know you phase. And the first thing that you see with this app is a list of hotel listings. Um, so they kind of skip that initial phase 
and jump right into it. And I also liked that their hotel listing is a combination list slash map, which again is a little hard to explain in person, but if you look at the image, you'll see that the top of the screen shows a map preview and then, then you start the listings, which again, me personally enjoying the map view, I kind of liked having both easily accessible. Yeah, I mean, the a good app is not necessarily just an adaptation of your website. It really is a different user experience. And, you know, skipping the things like the About Us type copy on a homepage on your app does make a lot of sense because the people have already, in, Think of like a hotel type app. People have already made the decision to use that app. You don't have to sell them on anything. Just get them right to the process and make it very seamless between point A and point B. Yeah, I always see the app, especially for an individual hotel, it's not the research tool for the property, right? They've already made that decision. This is more of a consumption tool. It's something that should enhance the experience, but then also encourage them to become a, a repeat loyal guest as well. So yeah, I agree. I don't think you need to have that fluff content in the beginning or in the way of what the benefits of that might be. They also had um, somewhat similar to the Expedia app but a little bit different. The listings, um, instead of being a small block, it was actually a long thin rectangle so the entire block is an image and then it has just the price and the ratings and then if there's a discount. So just your top level information about that property and then you can click into the profile which I thought was a very clean layout and they had some interesting information there. So they actually have information um, regarding the weather in the area when you're supposed to travel. Um, they have guest reviews that are pulled in and they also have a need to know section, which is kind of like the TLDR, what you need to know about this property type section, which I thought was pretty cool. And on the profile pages, the images actually auto scroll so you don't even have to touch the screen to go through the images and it goes pretty quickly. So you get a pretty good feel for the property. That's cool. Um, another thing I liked is from a payment perspective, they made it really easy. And I know some other apps, once you're a member or you, you know, use the website, you can do, you know, one click to, you know, check out, whatever. But this one in particular had a feature where you can scan your credit card and it's integrated with PayPal. Scan, you mean, you mean like take a picture with it? Yeah, like take a picture of the credit card and it would upload everything for you. That's pretty, That's cool. pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen that on a few apps. That's pretty cool. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on with them um, versus any other app that I looked at, they had a really interesting um, and bold color scheme. So a lot of the other apps are either brand colors or they're really like the Airbnb app is like very white and super clean and they went the total opposite direction with a very dark color scheme. But I personally feel like it made things pop a little bit more. It's definitely something you don't see in everywhere. It looks very slick and classy, I like. Like almost a modern feel, yeah. which I think probably speaks to their demographic a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So that was Hotel Tonight. My other um, favorite app is the TripAdvisor app, which I know, ah, oh, TripAdvisor, our favorite frenemy here. Um, their app was actually really, really well designed from both a user and a design perspective, and it's fairly useful. It has a ton of information. I personally felt the only pitfall is that it is so comprehensive that the amount of information provided can almost be a little bit overwhelming. So it might not be the right solution for everybody. Like if you're just looking for a hotel, this probably isn't the best app for you. 
The app includes um, hotels with the ability to book. It has information um, on restaurants, things to do, flights, destination guides, vacation rentals, and then a near me now feature that will show you obviously things that are near your current location. So with all the apps that you've seen so far, and we've talked a lot about like either you know, major OTAs, TripAdvisor, things like that. How aggressive are these apps at getting you to either log in or, you know, share your Facebook profile to, to in, initiate the login? I was actually surprised. I didn't feel they were that aggressive. So I don't know if it would, if I would have had a different experience if, like, let's say I was already a member of Expedia and they had me linked somehow and I downloaded the app and they knew who I was. You know, having wanting me to log in and sign in, but from strictly, a, I'm not a member of any of these apps. I don't typically use them. They weren't very forceful with trying to get me to sign up for their program or trying to log in. I was actually really surprised. It's not like they required you to sign up to, to check stuff out, right? Mm -mm. Yeah. Okay. What about on the um, notification side? Were they any of these apps sending you push notifications once you install? So they prompt you to do that because I did start signing up for a few of them just to see if the experience would be better and that I'll, most of them if you did sign up they would prompt you will you allow us to send you push notifications yeah but only once you signed up yeah so by default they weren't just saying you installed it let's send you push notifications correct wow Seems I, like yeah, they opportunity for them. yes and no I feel like it would have been annoying like honestly I like I for one of them I was like okay send me push notifications and then like I was the purpose of this was for me to research for an article um, but I was using actual dates that I'm going to Charleston and was thinking of getting a hotel. So it was like, it's not like I was just totally not using this for its actual purpose. But it did get kind of overwhelming because they would send you reminders about it. And it just, for me, it, got, it was a little much. There was probably a way to go in and adjust the frequency. But who's going to take the time to do yeah, that? Yes, like, I wonder how many people would just delete it yeah. instead of setting their notifications too off. Yeah. Uh, it's easier. I don't know. So anyway, I felt the, the TripAdvisor was very comprehensive and the app is really, really similar to their website. I didn't want to talk too much about it on the podcast just because it, it does really mirror their website experience. Um, but I did want to point out that it is super comprehensive. So if you are a person that likes to you know, travel just to a destination and then go and go out to eat and then you want to review the restaurant right away or you're not sure what there is to do in the area, they have a lot of local guides built out. They have really great... Um, you know, deals and information. So if you're looking for that information, TripAdvisor is definitely a good pick for you. All right, let's do one more of the highlights and then we'll touch on some of the lowlights. Yeah, that sounds good. So the last one that I wanted to point out was Airbnb, which is actually the favorite app that I looked at. I was already a little bit familiar with that app, but even after all the other apps I looked at, I still really liked Airbnb. And not just because I was familiar with it, but it's just such an easy to use app. Like it is completely dummy proof. I feel like from a user experience, like it's just so easy to figure out everything. It's so easy to use. And one feature that I particularly liked about Airbnb is it's really easy to research and save trip information. So they have a whole section where you can create a trip. And I've actually, use this when I've looked at going to football games. So I can create a trip um, or my friend's bachelorette party, you know, you can say bachelorette party, whatever, or football game, and then you can look at a bunch of different options and then easily save it to your trip profile. And then you can share that information with other people if you all wanna like make a decision on where you wanna stay. They just make that really easy. So it's 
again, not for everybody, but if you're planning a trip like that and you want some place to kind of save all of that information, it was really handy. And then, you know, like some other apps I looked at, they still had really clean and easy to use filters to help you narrow down some of your selections. And they had really, really well built out things to do guides. I think Airbnb compared to some of the other websites has really focused on that local experience and they had really, really nice and actually really helpful like local guides to areas. So that was kind of cool too. Do you use that within an app? Like I know you mentioned TripAdvisor had a ton of stuff involved with it. Would mm -hmm. you use the things to do guides in an Airbnb app? I would. I mean, either TripAdvisor or Airbnb or even if it was a hotel specific app. I mean, if it's an area that I'm not familiar with and to me the difference would be that it's like genuine, perhaps even user generated content versus I use this primarily as an advertising platform just to push people who will pay me to be listed on the app. I feel like when I looked at TripAdvisor and Airbnb, you can tell that it was real people or recommending real places that aren't being you know, paid to push that. Yeah, I know. I definitely appreciate that when I use these type of things when I get to see what's around an area I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, that's what do you do when you go to a new city and you know where to go? You go ask a local. I mean, that's right. kind of, you don't necessarily want to go to all the touristy spots. Right. You want to go off the beaten path. And I felt like they pointed out some places that I definitely would have never thought to. When I looked at a few, um, I actually have a friend that lives in Chicago. So I was looking at the Chicago guide and was kind of asking her about some of the places. So, I mean, it seems like they did a good job of putting, putting those together. Cool. Yeah, I've always liked it, just UI design in general on the website. And, and, and I think it's, you know, it doesn't get enough credit for their success because Airbnb as a concept is great, but I think without the intuitive user interface that they have given people for so many years, I don't think they'd be so successful. Because it is really, like you said, dummy proof, and people that just fall upon this website find it really easy to book. Yeah, the whole booking process too is really easy and they have, um, tons of information about the people that are renting out, whether it's a unit or a room or whatever. So there's definitely that trust factor there as well when it comes to, well, I'm not booking with a hotel. Is it sketchy? Well, they have tons of information on the host, you know, what their history is. They have reviews. So it definitely establishes, you know, a sense of authority and a sense of trust. Cool. So we talked about the, the good. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about bad and ugly together. Oh, let's do it. So the Stuart Butler app, no. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I saw that one. Wow. Digging deep right away. You realize I'm your boss, right? <laughs> yeah, I forget sometimes and then regret. Okay. <laughs> no, but there was one app called Travel Butler, and this was an app I stumbled upon that when I read through the description and found out information about it, I kind of was hooked into thinking that it was a booking app, so I went ahead and reviewed it, but it kind of wasn't which was disappointing just from setting that expectation. Um, so what this app was is, um, the concept is really interesting, but the build out and execution of it's pretty terrible. So the app begins by having you enter in your travel information. So they ask for what destination are you going to, what are the travel dates, what's your gender, which I thought was a weird question, and then what type of trip is it? So a business or leisure trip. And then after you make your selections, a screen appears with various trip information. So it gives you a packing list, weather information like during your trip, and then popular attractions and restaurants. And then that's pretty much it. So you could click on the packing list and it was kind of interactive and you could check things off or whatever. And I mean, that's fine. So it's more of an assistant once you've made the booking. Yeah. And the popular attractions and restaurants would have been fine too. 
but it was powered by Foursquare. And if you clicked mm. into the profile, it was almost just like somebody had built in, like they had pulled in the terrible mobile experience that is apparently Foursquare. So it wasn't even like an in-app page, it was Foursquare. And then you got this giant pop-up to sign into Foursquare and you like couldn't close out of it because my fingers are clumsy and I couldn't find the X. And it was just like vomit on the page. <laughs> Man, it seems like something helpful I would use. Like I just planned a trip to California all the way up the coast without you know, help for anything. This seems like it'd be helpful, but that just- It could be cool. Wonky, it could right? be really cool, but just the actual build out of it was not cool. And then again, there was no booking component. Like, so yeah. it was kind of like, eh, why would I use this? And there was no personalization or variety when it came to recommendations. I actually looked at a few different destinations to see if, you know, Charleston, awesome city, but obviously not the biggest city in the world. So I looked at a few other destinations and it looks like some other cities had a little bit more information on the things to do and stuff, but it still wasn't great. Hmm. All right, so don't download that app. Yeah, yeah. don't download that app. <laughs> All right, next. And then my the worst app that I reviewed was Hotel Snapper, which probably most people haven't heard of. I actually found it when I was just looking in the app store for hotel booking apps. And this one came up. And I will say, without a doubt, this app is absolute garbage. <laughs> it is the worst app I've ever used in my entire life. I say that because I could not even review this app because it kept crashing. Like, literally could not, like I would make it to a hotel profile page and it would just crash. I like turned my phone off, I like tried it again in a few days, I think there was a software update at some point. This app did not work and the only review of the app echoes the fact that it is garbage. <laughs> so, I don't know if this was like maybe a project for like a high school kid who wants to be a software developer, I don't know. <laughs> That's why you have to be careful when, especially with app development, Unlike a website where someone may go there, not have a great experience and possibly come back, with an app, once they download it, if they find that it is not their ideal experience, they're not coming back and they're not ever coming back. And then they're going to go tell everybody on the podcast how much <laughs> that experience sucked. So you really do have to make sure when you launch an app or you know, when you're partnering with an app or whatever it might be, that you are really making sure that it does, one, something that a website can't do, and then two, is really addressing a consumer need that's not being met. You have to do both those things for it really to have value to you. So I also wanted to highlight just some different features that I thought were unique to some of these apps and things that kind of stood out to me as kind of cool or different. So the Priceline app has a name your price tool, which I feel like they ripped off from some insu car insurance. I can't remember what the name of it is, but the name your price tool. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who they had it first. Yeah, so I, I don't know who had it first. There was they extra have tools a, lying around that they used. <laughs> Maybe they should yeah. share tools. Um, but basically, this works. Um, you can enter a bid, and there's a pretty easy to use little slider scale on the screen. Um, so you enter a bid on what you want to pay, and then you see results that are close to the amount you want to pay. But it was a little confusing to me because I did it, and then I kind of went through, I was like, oh, okay, here's my bid, $2.50 a night, whatever. And so I clicked on the one that was, oh, we found one that's $2.49 a night. So I clicked on that one, but then as I went through the booking process, like at the end, it was like, oh, and by the way, there's all these taxes and fees. So it seems like not a super honest experience, I didn't look too much into it, like I didn't try it in multiple locations, so I don't know if that was just like a one-off situation. 
thought the concept was interesting, like, you know, set here's my budget and then getting the results. I was going to ask you about that. I noticed you in your, in your article, you talked about Kayak and Agoda. They both offer uh, a feature that says, here's your price with all taxes and fees. Do you want to sort buy hotels with all taxes and fees included. I just, you know, don't you feel like that should be something everybody's doing anyway? So that was actually one of my next points was those two apps in particular that have the what you see is what you pay. And I am like all about transparency. Nothing is more annoying to me as a price sensitive traveler when I go and go through the booking process and then I get to the end and there's all this other crap I wasn't expecting to pay for. So. That was a huge plus for me looking at the apps that had that, you know, do you want the average price per night or do you want, here's everything after taxes and fees. I yeah. thought that was a major plus. For me, when I was just using a kayak recently, that was, oh, well, thank you for providing an actual price for me. Yeah, I think the challenge for, the ho- for those people selling hotel rooms, though, is when people are just browsing and they're shopping on price only, if the competitor's not including taxes and fees in that initial, then maybe you get disqualified from their selection because they're like, oh, this guy's cheaper. They don't find out till later, okay, there's taxes and fees, but do you potentially lose people because your competitors are doing it different than you, you know? So if it was an even playing field, everyone included taxes and fees, great, but the fact that some do, some don't, is confusing to the consumer. So you kind of got to hedge your bets a little bit and maybe say, well, and do what the majority are doing or what the big guys are doing. Well, that's, that's kind of why I thought it was cool that they, they allowed you know everybody's taxes and fees. All right, now we, we're including mm-hmm. it all. And then yeah. sort by that. It would be, you know, to, to me, giving about. them the option, right? Defaulting to not showing it, but yeah. then having a very overt click here if you want to include taxes and fees in this. Because then you're comparing apples to apples against these other sites. But you can also, as a consumer, once you're educated, you can say, well, I really care about the bottom line. What is the actual cost mm-hmm. to me? One of the other really cool features that I thought um, that I found was booking.com has a screenshot feature, which it's not like it's something they advertised, but um, when I was looking at it, I was taking pictures, obviously, of all the different screens throughout the process, and I took a screenshot of booking.com on one of the pages, and then I got a pop-up right after that said, don't let this screenshot get lost in your photos. Get a shareable link, save this link, or no thanks. So, you know, if people are price shopping, they want to screenshot something, might get lost in their photos or whatever, they kind of were proactive on that and said, hey, we noticed you took a screenshot. Why don't you just go ahead and send this link to somebody here? I thought it was cool. Nobody else had that. Cool. So those are some of the features that Misha liked in these apps. There's some others listed in the podcast notes, which are you can find at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on the episode 23. But we also, in this episode, wanted to talk about this and, and make this relate specifically to the folks that are marketing hotels. So, you know, we have an app platform called Guest Express, and it's basically a content management system where you can build your own custom mobile app for native app, Android and Apple Store. And it's pretty cool. We've got dozens of hotels that are using this, and we've seen some really cool data. So we wanted to share that with you just to convince you guys that maybe you're on the fence about whether or not you need an app for your hotel, um, that it is something that's working for independent hotels. Now, obviously, if you're a flag property, you're probably using the branded Hilton, Marriott app, whatever it is. But if you're an independent property of any size, and we've got properties that are 14 units, we've got properties that are 500 units using this thing, it can really work. 
And there's a lot of data out there that supports this. So we did a leisure travel study back earlier this year. And in that, we learned that a lot of people really have a demand for mobile apps. Obviously, the OTAs and these other folks out there like Airbnb are really pushing mobile apps. So consumers are getting used to it. But once they've selected your property, once they're staying with your property, do they want a mobile app unique to that property? And we found that, yeah, they do. We found that 54% of people said that if there was the ability to book or to check in from a mobile app and bypass that front line, they would do it. There's over half the people. And these are people of all ages. These are up to, you know, the boomers and beyond. So in general, people want to be able to book. We also found that 60 odd percent of people said that if they could pay to check out late, they would probably do it via a mobile app as well. So it can become a, a revenue generator. So Pete, we've had a lot of people on um, on Guest Express for quite a while. You wanna throw out some of the numbers that we're seeing? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting numbers is if we look at an individual resort, Breakers Resort here in Myrtle Beach, look at them in particular, with their app, they have over 300 downloads per week since the site has launched. And that's not just you know one group of people getting the app and using it, but it's an ongoing basis where all their new guests are getting the app, they're using the app, and they're interacting with it. And it's a great value to them, not only because they're able to communicate with their guests, but using that express check-in, using the ability to push out notifications that there might be a special at the bar. It's yeah. very valuable. Yeah, and of those 300, on average, that are downloading each week, over 50% of those are actually using the mobile check-in. Right. So, you know, if you could get more people downloading your mobile app, say you could get 100% penetration, so everyone, you could cut your check-in lines in half by getting 50% of these people to do check mobile check-in. And that's just now, right? Think about this in a year or two when people are getting more used to mobile apps for hotels. It's just going to continue to grow. So, so you're cutting down on, on workload at the front desk, cutting down on frustration of the guest. So not only is it operational efficiency, but it's also the customer experience is improving. And even beyond that, while you have you know 300 downloads per week, 50% do the express check-in, what that means is the customers who have never even downloaded the app are now having a better experience at the property because that check-in line's less. You know, you're taking a lot of people away, making that process even go smoother, so it does help even people who get the app, even the people who don't get the app. Avoiding those problem situations. Right, they're able to go in and, and do the checkout line. So, you know, the more people who go into that process, the more effectively a hotel promotes it, they're gonna have a better hotel experience for all of their guests. Right, and then beyond the check-in, right? Check-in is one of the big features, but uh, are people gonna use the app multiple times? And we see, yeah, we, if we look across all our clients that are using, and there's dozens of hotels using this product, the average number of times that a consumer during their stay opens the app is nine. You know, and think about that, that could be a two day vacation, that could be a one week vacation. But on average, they're opening the app nine times during their vacation. So it's not just, I'm coming, I'm checking in, I'm checking out. They're actually using this app during their stay for various things, right? And that could be to add additional services, it could be to research area information, it could be to, to submit a concierge request. Or in a lot of cases, what we're seeing is hotels themselves actually sending push notifications to the guests to solicit usage of the, of the app. And that could be to promote, hey, specials in the bar, it could be 
just checking in with them to say, hey, how is your stay? Let us know if you have any problems or you need anything. Or even towards the end of the stay, do you, uh, would you leave a review? You know, fill out this form. So if you're engaging with that customer, obviously, potentially, you can, they're gonna have a better experience. There was a recent study we talked about a couple of episodes ago where it's stated that for, people are 40% more likely to stay again with your property if you engage with them during the stay. And the mobile app is a perfect, perfect way to do that. So operational efficiency, um, customer engagement and satisfaction are key, but at the end of the day, we want it to be a revenue generator. So Pete, what are some of the ways that we're seeing hotels take advantage of revenue generation through a mobile app for the hotel? I would say there's really four main ways uh, the first one is immediately on check-in or during that check-in process to be able to upgrade their room. This is a, a great tool either during check-in or even before to get people to say, hey, there's extra room available. Let's go ahead and move you up to the next available room. It may only cost $10 at the time of the upgrade. You know, customers are going to feel, feel a lot more comfortable paying an extra $10 to, to get a much better experience. Or 10, 11, whatever that dollar might be. Yeah, they've, in their mind, they've already paid for the trip, right? So if there was a $500 stay, but now you're asking them to just pay 10 extra dollars a night, it's an extra 40, 50 bucks. Eh, I can spend an extra 40, 50 bucks. But at the time they booked, oh, I don't want to spend 550, I can spend 500, right? So it's just a they're different place in their mind. You're more likely to get that incremental sale because they've already spent their They're money. out of their home, they're in your property, they're already gone. I mean, exactly. they're more on vacation. Yeah. The purse yeah. strings are loose at that so, And that really brings us to the next one is while they're on property, utilizing your additional services to drive that incremental revenue. If you have a family of four, make sure that they know that they can pay for breakfast via the app. Make sure that they know that there is, you know, jet ski rentals or whatever else it might be that you're offering. Really push that because it's going to help the customer have a better experience and it's going to help your bottom line. If you partner with area tours, things like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, or drive people to on-site amenities, whether it's a spa or a restaurant, because then you can get better utilization of those amenities in driving incremental revenue beyond just rev bar. You're actually now driving F&B into some other revenue streams. Exactly, and that's another great way is with the push messaging capabilities of apps. If there's a special at the bar, if you're giving away a free appetizer between 5 and 6 p.m., push that out and get people there because once they're on property and they're staying on property, it only helps. And then lastly, what is really very popular, as alluded to earlier in the podcast, late checkouts and extended stays. People love not being ha able to ha not having to wake up early in the morning. And if you can let that person sleep an hour or two in, check out later, maybe enjoy the hotel amenities a little bit longer, they're going to be very happy to have that experience and almost make an extra day of vacation on their checkout day. Yeah, I mean, distressed inventory, perishable inventory is one of the biggest challenges, right? Once a night goes by that we didn't fill, we can never sell that room, right? So in this industry, if we can take advantage of that, and what Guest Express does is it actually looks automatically in the PMS to see is someone going to occupy that room the next night? And if they're not, during the previous stay, it's going to push to someone, hey, you can actually stay an extra night for X dollars. You know, and, and that's a discounted rate. But one, you've already got that person in-house. Two, that room is not being sold yet, right? So it, it makes sense to discount that rate to that guest because one, you're going to use that inventory that would have gone away. But now you've also made a guest a very happy guest 
had a better experience, you're gonna improve your online reputation, they're more likely to come back and stay with you as well. And even if the room is occupied the next night, but you have enough staff, you can set the app to have a threshold. Okay, I'm gonna allow the first 20 people that respond to request a late checkout on this day. So you can put, kind of set thresholds. And that's something that most people, if it's an extra 10 or 20 bucks, are gonna do this late checkout. And that's just free money. You know, mm -hmm. if you can figure it out from an operational standpoint to get the rooms turned over and clean in time for the next folk to check in, you, you're increasing ADR by 10 or $20 a night, you know, that, or, or per stay, that can make all the difference between profit at the end of the year. For yeah, there it is from an operational standpoint. And then when you're the guest and you look at that as, as you know, the hotel helping you out, giving you something extra, I mean, it, it's prompting you to leave good reviews and talk well about the property. Yeah. Exactly. So guys, any final thoughts on mobile apps for you know booking hotels or for hotels themselves? I think I have reviewed so many apps that I never want to look at another app again. <laughs> my thoughts. Thank you for doing it, Misha. Hey, but Misha, I got some bad news. iOS 10 just came out, so you're going to have to install that and then re-review all the apps. <laughs> you don't know what Travel Butler's been up to. Uh, hey, who knows? Maybe they... Hotel Snapper fixed itself with the update. I don't know. Yeah, and if Hotel Snapper, if you happen to be listening, we apologize for dogging on you, but please fix the stability of your app and let us know about it. I will say there is definitely an app for anyone and everyone. I mean, the travel industry was probably on the slower end with adopting mobile apps, but they've definitely caught up. So if you are looking for one and you're not, you know, necessarily super, you know, prepared for one brand or you're loyal to one brand, then look at my review. I will tell you everything you could ever want to know. And if you have thoughts or feedback or you want to tell me my article's garbage or you want to applaud me, <laughs> you know, let us know. We definitely are open to any feedback. Yeah, if you're typically the kind of person that goes to YouTube and leaves trash comments, you can come to our website at fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode 23. We're going to have all this write-up about this, this show on there, but we'll also have a link to the original article. So go to that original article and troll to your heart's content. <laughs> tell me show. She is the show. hotel snapper of app reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Guys, do you have any other final thoughts? No, I would say that if you are a hotel, make sure that your presence on you know the OTAs, TripAdvisor, is where it should be because that data is shown on the apps. If you don't have an app, now is the time to go ahead and put one in place as well. Gotcha. And so that's our episode today. Again, this was episode 23. So you can go to fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode 23. And where can they find you on the web, Pete? They can find me at pdimeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O on Twitter. And Phil? You can find me at pfariska, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. And Misha, just because they're not tired of hearing you talk this episode, where can they find you on the web? You can hear even more of me at Marketing Misha. That's at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. That is me is ha, in case anybody else wasn't aware, because I'm so hilarious, an easy way to remember how to spell my name. <laughs> me is ha. Yeah. I like that. I think about that now every time I type your name after you told me. There we go. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. -E you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Please send us your comments and your thoughts and your questions. We'd love to hear from you. And you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast.
I have a mouthful of M&M's. <laughs> I'm done now. This is the last one.